It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. And the Orioles have won the game. They did it! They did it! They did it! And they're going crazy. They're jumping on each other. One of the most unbelievable finishes you will ever see. And welcome to it, another edition of Orioles Magic Moments, the podcast, Brett Hollander, along with Jeff Arnold. And Jeff, great to see you as always. We have a very special guest uh, coming up, and he'll join us shortly. He is the grill master, he's the barbecue man, but he's also a former MVP and a multi-time world champion for the Baltimore Orioles, the one and only Boog Powell, one of my all-time favorite Orioles, and he'll be joining us coming up. I can't wait for this conversation, Brett, because the period of time that we're looking into is maybe the most impressive in in team history. And they had everything. They had pitching. They had hitting. They had defense. They had all-stars. They had an incredible manager. These teams had absolutely everything. And I'm really excited to talk to them about, uh, in particular, that 1970s offense because if you look at some of the numbers in the postseason they're absolutely staggering in the five games in the world series the orioles had 50 hits 10 of those were home runs they had seven doubles and then against the twins in the alcs they scored 60 runs in just eight games so they were doing absolutely ridiculous things at a time in orioles history which uh, everybody remembers so well and which uh, for me has been incredibly cool to read about and just to follow all the exploits of so many of the different players because these were teams that had it all. Yeah, there's no question about it. They win the championship and win the World Series in 66 and 70, but they win three consecutive pennants, 69, 70, and 71. The team that lost the America Mets in 69 won 109 games. The team that won it all in 70 won 108 games. And I think when most people think about the 70 World Series, the Orioles really dominated a uh, young, big red machines team. But that series, even though Boog had a great series, we'll talk about it with him coming up, was dominated by, by number five, the one and only Brooks Robinson, who may have had, and we'll ask this to Boog coming up, the greatest World Series, arguably in baseball history, when you look at the combined offensive and defensive uh, things to look at. And uh, it's one of those things where I think the world, the country got to see uh, what Brooks did on a daily basis at Memorial Stadium and in the American League. It was on full display in that 70 World Series. And I, I still, even though I was not alive in 70, have the vision of all the plays going uh, beyond the foul line in third base and, and making a perfect throw to Boog at first and Boog picking on a one-bouncer. And he did everything, moving to his left, to his right, plus he hits a couple of home runs. So it was one of the more dominant performances in, uh, in baseball history, to be quite honest with you. So it was a great team. Uh, they really handled the Mets. We'll talk about, of course, that Game 5 clincher at Memorial Stadium. And uh, I hate to say it, but can I use the D word? It's really part of a dynasty uh, with those Orioles teams. 
because even when they they won two championships then and again uh, they they won in '83 we all know but they were in contention and really good every year. They were in that period of time, uh, and I'm I'm going to be really interested to talk to him about Brooks Robinson as well because like you pointed out people maybe on a national stage didn't really get to see just how good Robinson was as a third baseman until that point in time. And, and I'll be interested too, to, to talk about with, with him, um, you know, with Boog, was it more impressive when you were playing in left field earlier on and, and Robinson was just cutting off all those ground balls that you figured might get to you. And then you had Aparicio as well playing shortstop. So it's just like, you're, not much was getting to you at that point. No. Or was it more impressive when you were playing at first base and you suddenly had to get over to the bag because Robinson made another diving pickup on a ball that you probably figured was going to be a base hit. I'll be interested to ask him about that as well as what it was like uh, with all those great pitching staffs that you had behind you. You had three different 20-game winners on the 1970 team. You had four different 20-game winners on the 1971 team, one of only two pitching staffs in big league history that's produced four different 20-game winners. Uh, that was a big part of it. I'm a big pitching guy, too, so I can certainly appreciate that. Uh, but but with Boog, too, you know, finally getting that elusive MVP uh, during the, you know, 1970 season when he very well could have won it in 1969 as well. Harmon Kilbrew ended up winning that award. And just reading back about some of the different pieces of that, you know, those two were joking back and forth where, where they were talking at one point and they, they later became great friends. So, so I'll be interested to, to hear from him about some of those conversations that, that he and Killebrew might've had about that season and whether or not, you know, d does he still think that, that it was Killebrew who should have won the MVP that year? Well, while Killebrew thought that it was Boog that should have won that award. And before we get to Boog Powell, uh, Jeff, I know you've seen it by now. It's been on Twitter, the release of this podcast, uh, which I think is really uh, really cool that we're doing it, but also the logo that's been created of both of us, these caricatures of us uh, as magicians, you know, play on the <laughs> Orioles magic. I, I feel good about how I've come across. How do you feel about how you've come across in this cartoon? I feel fantastic about how I came across for a couple of reasons. Number one, I've got a top hat. You never want to argue with a guy in a top hat. Number two, I got the cane going, so I got a little bit of swag there as well. And the <laughs> last thing, I have the non-receding hairline. They were very kind in how they treated me in that respect. So uh, it makes me look as good as possible. I guess it's maybe one of those moments where you're like, I, I guess I made it because someone came up with a caricature of you, uh, but I thought it looked really good. And the depiction of you as well, I thought was also really good. I feel really good about it. I must say, I feel really good about it. And by the way, you can catch every one of our episodes, Orioles.com slash podcast. Right, Jeff? That's the best way to get us right now? Orioles.com slash podcast. These drop every Friday. Uh, we actually had a double episode that, that started yesterday. So you can go back and hear our first conversation with Robert Andino, uh, the curse of the Andino and the role that he played uh, against the Boston Red Sox, not only in that game uh, to finish off that season, uh, but also hear from Scotty McGregor about finishing off the 1983 World Series against the Phillies, where he was dominant and where he helped uh, wrap up a, a world title for the Orioles. Those were two really intriguing conversations. A lot of great stories were told, and I'm really excited uh, based on how it started off, just what is ahead for us in this podcast, and make sure you tune in uh, every Fridays is when it's going to drop, as well as every Mondays. So it's a great way to end the week, and it's a great way to start the week as well by listening to O's Magic. As we try and 
entertain and start thinking about baseball in any way we can. And uh, we had a couple of already great conversations. You mentioned them, Jeff. And now it's time for another great conversation with the one and only Boog Powell. Let's get right to it and bring on a Baltimore baseball legend. He's an Orioles Hall of Famer, and he was MVP of the American League in 1970 and a multi-time world champion for the Baltimore Orioles, the grill master himself, the one and only Boog Powell. Boog, how you doing? Oh, I'm doing pretty good. I'm, I'm stuck down here in Key West, and I, I've been trying to stay home a lot, and uh, thank goodness my son's been here going to the grocery store for me and stuff, but I'm doing pretty good for an older gentleman. Well, it's great <laughs> to see you, and uh, you look well. I saw you in spring training just a few weeks ago. It feels like an eternity ago, but uh, let's talk about the 1970 yeah, World Series champion, uh, Baltimore Orioles, and kind of set the stage for us. You guys are so good. I mean, you win the World Series in 66. You're knocking the door a few years. Of course, they go from Bauer to Earl. And then 69, 109 wins, the upset loss to the Mets, and then right back at it in 70, and you guys see it through. Yeah, we were we were kind of disappointed after the 69 season. I, I thought that maybe that was our best team. Um, I, it was probably my best year for you know for just pure stats and everything else but in the end i mean we only had three 20 game winners that year so you know that couldn't have been too good <laughs> uh, but uh uh you know we were we were a really good team and of course i i think when it came time to come to spring training in 1970 i don't there wasn't a word said but we kind of, all of us kind of looked at each other and we just, we just sort of said, we're not going to let this happen again. And we were all, we were all on the same page as far as getting into the world series and doing this thing again. When you got through May, I think you were around like 27 and 19, but then once you got to June, you guys just took off. What was kind of the kicker that allowed you to separate from everybody else in the pack? Because uh, you guys ended up winning the, you know, winning the division by, by pretty much a landslide. Yeah, we, we just started clicking. Uh, I mean, we were, I don't know, maybe, maybe I wasn't going that good to start with. And uh, maybe, maybe uh, Frank wasn't going that good. And Brooksy, we, Brooksy, we were all, you know, just sort of dawdling around. And there was no reason that I can remember uh, that we just sort of picked up and we just, I don't know. We all we always knew where each of us was in the in the game time situation, and we just we just sort of put put it together. And then of course the pitching came together, and of course we always had the defense. And if you know if we got you know if we got any kind of pitching and a little bit of offense, you weren't gonna stop us. We were good. We obviously have to talk about specific to that 70 series about this guy, number five, uh, Brooksy, and, and the series he had. I know Edwards talked about it all these decades later, uh, but, but can you look back and say, was it amazing or was that just Brooks? I mean, he obviously put together one of the great World Series in baseball history, offensively and defensively. But I, I think there was a sense from some Orioles players who said, we see this every night. Yeah, uh, it was like, I've always maintained that if Brooks would have played in New York, 
he could have been running for president. He was that good. <laughs> he was just, and it was a, it was a, it was an honor. It was a privilege to walk out on the same field with him every day. And I felt it every single day when I walked out there with him and to watch him, watch him catch those balls. And, you know, but, you know, on the other hand, uh, he got him over to first on one hop. So, <laughs> if, so if I don't catch him, it's E5, you know, and there were two pretty good plays. Yeah, there were two pretty good plays over there at third, and he bounced them both over at first. And, you know, I came up with him, but I, I was lucky. So, Was it more impressive for you when you were playing in left field and he was just taking away so many balls that – that would have been hits because I'm sure for you, it's like a not, not a lot of balls were, you know, a lot of the ground balls were oh, getting yeah. to you in left field. Or was it maybe more impressive when you're over at first base and it seems like a ball maybe is going to get through and then he makes a diving pickup and they're like, all right, I better get over and, and so we can get this out of first. Yeah, right. I, you know, when I was playing left, I bet I broke on a hundred balls that never got through the infield. I mean, they just sat between him and Louis Aparicio. I mean, they were, you know, two Hall of Famers right there playing right in front of me, and nothing ever seemed to get through there. And I break on balls, and, uh, and I, you know, I led the league in assists one year, or almost led the league in assists, and just because I gave the ball to either Louie or Brooks, and they took care of it from there, and I got an assist on it. But when I went over to first, it was, it was kind of different being over there. I mean, it was uh, – uh, I, I guess you felt like you were more into the game over at first and you were closer to see closer to him and I could watch him in action even better than I could in left field. So, yeah, I, I think it was more fun. It was, it was better to watch him at first base than it was in left field. By the way, the, the Reds team, you guys beaten five and, and really handle in 70. That's the, that's a young version of the big red machines. I mean, that is, bench that's Perez that's Rose and I mean that team is loaded with Hall of Famers yes they were yeah they were and we respected them very much and they just didn't quite have the pitching you know that we had uh or maybe we might have been better than them defensively also uh, and of course Brooksy Brooksy had a great uh series with not only with a glove but with a bat too I think he drove in like five or six runs in uh, he hit, and you had I a think couple. he hit a couple home runs. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I had a pretty good series. And I don't know, we all just seemed like we all just chipped in just a little bit. And I, I think for me, the turning point in the series was probably in the first game when we got behind in the first inning. Uh, McNally, I think, I think he got behind. And, and I was hitting in the uh, maybe in the second inning, and I hit a home run to the opposite field. And I just said, okay, boys, here we go. And that was it. And we, start, we started rolling from there. I mean, you go to the, the final game, and Mike Cuellar, who ended up going the distance in that one, he had a, a challenging first inning. But, but like you said, just because how it kind of started for you guys in that series, um, what was kind of the vibe when you were you're coming back into the dugout for the – for that, that first inning, getting your first at-bats um, in a small hole, was it no fear at all? Uh, I think that maybe 
maybe there was a little bit of, uh, I don't know, uh, Eddie Watt had given up a home run to Lee May the day before, and we lost, we lost that fourth game. And all of a sudden, we're getting behind in the fifth game. I said, uh-oh, uh-oh, maybe, maybe we better kick it in gear here, boys. And uh, I, I wasn't worried about Mike Cuellar because Mike Cuellar did that a lot. He would have a rough start. He'd give up a couple of innings in the first – or a couple of runs in the first inning. And then after that, you weren't going to get him. It was over. Uh, if you didn't get him in the first and you didn't knock him out of the game, it was over because he was going to take you all the way. Boog, everyone will always talk about you and Frank and Brooks as they talk about the legends of Orioles baseball. Uh, also, you have to throw in the Paul Blairs of the world. But tell us about the Mark Belangers, the Davey Johnsons, the Elrod Hendricks, uh, who made up a huge part of those teams. Yeah. Oh, man, when you just – you know, I used to go out every day and I, instead of taking balls at first base, taking ground balls at first base, I would go out to shortstop and take balls with Mark Belanger. You know, and we would have a lot of fun kidding around and uh, say, you know, hey, Blade, I could play short. He said, yeah, maybe you could, but not today. <laughs> so, you know, and we just fool around a lot. And it, to hang around with guys that had great hands like that and great attitude. And then you, then you watch, you know, and you watch Ellie. Uh, Ellie, a lot of people didn't, you know, he had a great big bat. He swung a 40-ounce bat. And he... I don't know, he didn't, he didn't look like he was a player, but all of a sudden he would take you deep and he would throw you out. He could, he could catch and he could take you deep. And um, all of our guys, Merv Rettman, there's another, there's another example of a guy that, you know, or Merv hit a big home run in that World Series also. Uh, so, you know, it was a, it was a well-balanced team and whether Earl had anything to do with it or, didn't uh i don't know we we always had the kind of nucleus there and he just kind of filled in the, the you know the parts of it and it was uh it was a lot of fun going to the ballpark every day we had a, we had a great time out there what was it like for you getting to play for earl well you know i played with earl uh in the minor leagues we we were in uh, appleton wisconsin and he was a player manager in 1960 and um we were in cedar rapids or sioux city and or someplace and some some big first baseman hit a line drive at earl and earl jumped up and hit him right in the chest hit him right in the sternum right there knocked him out cold so me and a guy named Fody anthony he was our shortstop went over there and we got our hats and we're waving our hats and said get up earl get up come on you got to manage he says, I quit, I quit. <laughs> and that, that's, that's when Earl quit playing, and he started managing full-time. And I didn't see him again for eight years, you know, because I, I was in the big leagues. I, I came up in 61, and then uh, he came up, I guess it was in 68. He was a coach. He was, I think he was, a, I don't know if he was a first-base coach or, what he, or a bench coach or what he was, but – uh, then we weren't going so good in 68 and, uh, Hank, they, they let Hank Bauer go at the all-star break and gave Earl and gave Earl the job. And first thing Earl did, uh, when he got me was give me the green light to run it on first. He said, if you feel like stealing, go ahead. 
<laughs> so I did. I stole eight bases that year. So I was pretty and happy we know, about that. We all know how much Earl cherished outs. I'm looking at the stats right now from the 1970 club, and, you know, we talk about all these, you know, different numbers now that are valued. That Orioles team walked a lot. You walk uh, it, uh, that season 104 times. Don Buford walked 109. Everyone in the starting lineup walked 50, 60 times. Uh, you guys knew how to get on base besides just hitting the long ball. Oh, yeah. And I, you know, one of my great, one of my favorite stats, and I didn't know this until I came home, I think it was that winter, or maybe it's the next winter, somebody brought it up that I had 18 intentional walks that year. Wow. Wow. On, on that club. How in the heck can I have 18 walks? I must have been pretty good or something, you know? <laughs> so, so anyway, yeah, I, I'd take a walk in a minute. I, I didn't mind walking. I really didn't. And because, I mean, I was, in a, I was in a situation in our lineup where, uh, you know, they didn't want to walk me to get – I don't know who's sitting behind me. I don't even remember. But uh, when they you – know, you had Frank and Brooks usually right in front of me. Or, I, or Frank would hit third and I'd hit fourth and Brooks would hit fifth or I, whatever it was. I know I hit fifth a lot in that lineup. But it was third, fourth, and fifth, and it was, uh, you know, who do you pitch to? I mean, that's that was a real that was a real tough question right there. Hmm. In '68, you were an all-star, but in '69 and '70, you know, you talk about how much you walked, the intentional walks, uh, but you hit for a really high average, lots of power, lots of RBIs. How did you take that extra step forward in the in the '69 and, and '70 seasons? What both, which it, you know, you could have been the MVP in both of those years. Yeah, I, you know, like like we were talking, I I think I did have probably a little better year in '69, but Kilbrew won it in '69, and he he put together some pretty good stats too. I mean, he had like I think he had 42 or 43 home runs and drove in 130 or something like that. Um, but I hit, I hit over 300 that year. That was the only year that I hit over 300 in the big leagues. And my stats weren't too far from his, but killer came up to me in uh, spring training the next year. And he says, you deserve that. And I, I just took that and I said, no, I said, the right guy got it. And, and he was the right guy. He was a great, he was a great guy and a good man. Boog, I know how much you cannot wait to serve the fans at Camden Yards with your great barbecue again. Hopefully that's happening at some point here soon. But in quarantine, laying low right now as we all are, can Boog Pal get it going on the grill uh, with your typical menu from the, the ribs to the Boston butt to the, the pulled pork and everything else? Oh, that's – oh, yeah. Oh, for sure. I mean, uh, you saw us in spring training. Were we in rare form or not? Yeah, I mean, we were turning out some some of the best some of the best barbecue I think we've ever turned out was in spring training this year, and my son had a lot to do with that. But because uh, he is the he is the master of that, and of course in Camden Yards, it's a little bit different, but it's still really good. And I, I you know, what I miss most, I, I miss doing that and I miss the smells and I miss 
you know, I miss my, I miss fans. And I miss hanging around the people. I miss talking to people when they come into the ballpark and say, you know, hi, how are you today? Nice to see you. And those kind of things. And talking to people about the Orioles and uh, how things are going. And I'm, I'm kind of, kind of like an official greeter out on Utah street, <laughs> which I like. I really like to do that. And I miss that. I think more than the actual, you know, the barbecue and all of that. That's, that's good. We can do all of that, but I miss that more than anything. You are such an ambassador for everything at, at the ballpark, but you're right. The smell right now, just to see the smoke rise up from Utah street <laughs> and, and, and a cold one and some pulled pork sound pretty good right now. Oh, man, I'm telling you. Well, J.W. and I, my son J.W. Uh, and I have, we have two slabs of ribs and uh, I'm going to put them on the grill this evening and we're going to have a, and make some coleslaw and some black beans and rice for dinner tonight. So sometimes it's good to be me. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask you real quick, Boog, because um, and, I, and I think I mentioned this to JW when I was when I saw him down at spring training this year. My favorite part of Camden Yards, and I love to eat, is is Boog's Barbecue. I love coming out there. So I want to get your take on what is the ultimate barbecue meal for you. Oh wow! Uh, I I'm I'm very partial to brisket, and we did a in spring training. There's a place in Sarasota called uh, restaurant depot and we went over to restaurant depot and we got an angus brisket prime cut and i cooked i smoked it for about three hours then we wrapped it up and cooked it again for about another three hours wrapped up and then we, of course we save all the juice that accumulates in that and this this brisket was like it was fork tender and it was it weighed 15 pounds and it was just fork tender and it was probably as good a thing as i've ever cooked and and i enjoyed that a lot but i mean you know where do you draw the line i mean I've, we've cooked thousands of boston butts and thousands of slabs of ribs and a whole lot of briskets not not quite as many briskets but that's to me that's that's where it's at right there it all sounds so good right now. Boog, we, we can't thank you enough. That was a whole lot of fun reminiscing about that 1970 world champion Baltimore Orioles team, a team where that season you won the American League MVP and handled the young big, big red machines in that 70 World Series, Boog. It's always a pleasure to talk with you. I hope you and your family are well. Thank you. Same to you. And I uh, hope you guys get through all of this stuff and have no, have no, no, uh, no problems. Uh, I hope we get to see you before the year's over. That's the hope. Thanks, Boog. Well, one of my favorite people, one of the best players in Orioles history, John Boog Powell, always a pleasure. And, Jeff, I want to put this in perspective a little bit. It's a five-game World Series win for the Orioles in 1970. They win game five, October 15, 1970, at Memorial Stadium, 9-3 over Cincinnati. In that game, you mentioned it, Mike Cuellar goes the distance, nine innings, three runs, one walk, four strikeouts. And you, But you look at this Reds team. This Reds team was no pushover. Uh, it wasn't like the Mets set up a year before. They won 102 games. The Orioles won 108. But these were two powerhouses meeting in the Fall Classic. 
I think maybe the difference, and Boo talked about this, was the pitching that separated yeah. them. I mean, you had three 20-game winners on your pitching staff. And for Cuellar, and Boo pointed this out as well, if you didn't get to him in the first inning, you probably weren't going to get to him after that. And game seven was was proof of that. Red's able to get a couple of runs. Orioles, though, were able to respond right after that. So that made a big difference, too. But Cuellar went on to retire 24 out of the last 27 guys that he faced. And goes to show uh, just how once he was able to turn the page and once the offense got started, and, and as, as Boog said, we, we had to put it in high gear uh, and we, we needed to turn things up a little bit. Once they, they got going and once Cuellar got his rhythm, uh, he, was, he was dominant. But, but if you go back and look at that first inning and maybe some of the, the things that, that Earl Weaver said after, after the game, uh, Cuellar was maybe one batter where one more piece of hard contact away from possibly being pulled in the first inning and how that could have possibly changed everything. Uh, but he got things on track. The offense did what it was supposed to do. And the Orioles came away as world champions. Yeah, the, the Orioles really pounded Reds pitching in game five, the clincher, uh, just to kind of roll through it. Paul Blair, who of course started in center field, three hits. Uh, Frank batted third, two hits. Boog batted cleanup, two hits. Uh, Merv Rettman, two hits. Brooks had a hit. Davey Johnson had three. Andy Etcherbaron uh, was the starting catcher for that. So uh, it was a lot of up and down the lineup sort of attack. Everyone who started except for the for Quayer got a hit in the game. And uh, it was dominant in front of uh, over 45,000 on uh, 33rd Street in Baltimore. So, you know, just again, I, I think it's important to note this. Uh, Pete Rose, Tony Perez, Johnny Bench, Lee May, uh, Hal McCray. It was a uh, Dave Concepcion. I mean, this this Reds team was loaded. The beginning of the great red machine. It was the preview of, of what they had. And don't forget, too, they were managed by Sparky Anderson, who goes down as one of the greatest managers in Major League history. But what lacked for them was the pitching. And the Orioles, they pitch better than anybody. Their defense was better than anybody in baseball. And that was shown being on national TV just how good Brooks Robinson was in that series, making ridiculous plays that maybe folks weren't, weren't seeing. And uh, the way that they went about that process and that the fact that they had those two pieces and then that, you know, they also, they later on would go and have four different 20 game winners, the pitching and the defense, as good as the offense was, uh, those I think to me were, were the two X factors uh, that made the, that dynasty Orioles. Boog, the regular season MVP, Brooks, the World Series MVP. And again, uh, if you don't believe me, go to YouTube, go to baseballreference.com. Brooks Robinson dominated that World Series uh, about as much as anyone could possibly do it, both offensively and defensively. Although a lot of those defensive plays won't show up in a box score. Uh, they are available on YouTube, I'm told. Uh, but Jeff, that was a lot of fun. And just thinking about Boog's barbecue right now, it just, it just warms you up inside. Maybe one of the best things to happen to me. It was early on in spring training, and I'm walking into the elevator, and, and, I'm, and I'm standing next to somebody who I'm like, because I was thinking for a second, I was like, is, is that, I was like, that's not Boog. I was like, but that might be Boog's son. And sure enough, it was JW. And he said to me, if you ever want like any barbecue, um, just have somebody come down, just say that it's it's for you, and we'll we'll get you all hooked up. And so that that was my first big league broadcast. So I, I was I wasn't feeling too hungry that day. I was trying to you know channel all my energy and just like you know 
do a good job and everything. But I will say later on in spring training, uh, maybe like a week or two later, I was at a game and I had a friend in town and I said, well, I'm not calling the game today. So obviously we're going to Boogs and we went out into left field and uh, JW took great care of us. I have so many things from Boogs Barbecue that I liked um, that I, that I like. And so it makes it very difficult when I go out there to figure out what to order, because um, obviously you don't want to get into a food coma or anything like that, especially when you're broadcasting. Uh, but so many great things about Boogs Barbecue. And as I, I said in the podcast, uh, Boogs is probably my favorite thing about Camden Yards. It's one of mine as well. Uh, I do. I mentioned the pulled pork, but I really like the turkey. Uh, throw some slaw on there and throw some horseradish on there and a little barbecue sauce and they have the great kettle chips and uh, that just sounds amazing right now uh, but we'll leave it there Jeff uh, that was a great great uh, time going back down memory lane with Boog Pal and more Orioles magic moments here on the podcast so until next time see ya